This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org. For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. Attorney General Gintner Drummond is putting the brakes on recently passed rules from the State Board of Education. Drummond's binding opinion says the panel can only adopt new rules if directed to do so by the state legislature. This means controversial new rules on library books and sex education materials cannot take effect. Neva, what are your thoughts on this opinion? Well, I think the opinion is exactly what people expected, and that is that uh, the attorney general said, look, the legislature is vested with policymaking authority. And his position is, I'm not going to allow any agency, any board, any commission uh, to usurp the legislature's rightful role in all of this, regardless of whatever the intentions are. So I think it was clear cut. I think it's a formal opinion now that uh, while the uh, state superintendent says, you know, his comment basically was something to the effect of, unfortunately, I disagree with the attorney general's opinion. He may disagree, but the attorney general's opinion is binding, and I think this should clear the matter up moving forward, but we'll see if there's anything else uh, that ensues from uh, the State Department's uh, perspective going down the road as we are still in this legislative session. Ryan. I think first and foremost, it's important to point out that these rules are largely redundant. Uh, parents already have these uh, powers to know about you know what's going on in their kids' schools, you know the idea that uh, pornography is is riddling our our uh, our public schools across the state is just outrageous and without really any evidence. Uh, and and maybe I regret last week I said you know that Ryan Walter should you know show us the porn. Well, uh, maybe I should have said he should show us where it is because uh, he he took us up on the ladder and started emailing and then had staff members hand delivering uh, you know copies of uh, sexually explicit materials. Uh, to lawmakers' offices, uh, that you know, and, and and in doing so, never really said where he got it from, though, uh, or what school shelves he found this on. Um, you know, again, here's here's a guy who I think is uh, at this point, I think it's just it's safe to say that uh, he is just um, applying for a job. I don't know what that job is, but this this whole you know stunt of being a superintendent of, of public instruction is really a taxpayer subsidized job application for him, whether he thinks that that's in some federal appointment down the road or as a talking head on some uh, right wing media outlet. Uh, it's it's clear that he's not interested in doing the job at hand. Um, and the attorney general is is really taking a position uh, that is consistent with both the conservative legal movement, much more consistent with the conservative legal movement than anything that Superintendent Walters is doing. Uh, you know, conservatives for decades uh, have worked, at, especially at the federal level and federal courts, to limit the discretion of, of agencies uh, and the executive branch uh, so that the executive branch agencies uh, weren't able to exercise a lot of discretion uh, or less discretion and that that should be the, the power and the purview of the legislative body. So this is a very consistent uh, with conservative uh, legal movement, but also consistent with Oklahoma's progressive constitution. That has that puts very precise limits on 
uh, state government, but especially state agencies. So uh, I, you know, Ryan Walters is just out of step with everyone on this. Uh, but I, I just I'm at a point where I, I don't think that it matters to him. And Eva, what happens to these rules now? Well, I mean, these these rules based on the attorney general's uh, uh, opinion would would say that uh, they're not in effect. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're going through the process and Ryan may may have a little, you know, may be able to explain this a little bit better in terms of the legislative side. But there would seem to be no reason for for the legislature to move to address these particular rules that he would like to see. Uh, at least at this moment in time. The other thing is, I mean, you're right, Ryan. I mean, here he he doesn't attend a hearing he's requested to attend last week, uh, says he's busy, um, has made, uh, at least to this point, uh, there's no meeting set that any that I've seen uh, any uh, any information out on. And yet I would assume that at some point the legislature and, the, and these legislative committees are going to see the superintendent come before them and answer some of these questions. I would be surprised if they allow the the, the session to continue and not at some point um, be able to work out uh, in an amicable way to have the superintendent uh, before either the A&B uh, House Education Committee or some committee to answer many of these lingering questions by lawmakers. Um, and of course, they have the prerogative to subpoena anyone, um, including Ryan Walters, to come before a committee if they feel it rises to that level. Uh, I I don't know that there's been that um, kind of overt suggestion to this point, but it's certainly something that is out there and and a possibility. But the idea that he would bring these, send these packets, deliver these packets, I think it was something like almost 60 pages, uh, I mean, of documents and and all of this, that's not what lawmakers were asking for. They were asking for a conversation. They were asking uh, to have him address specific questions they have. They're not all related to this one area that he seems to continue to seize on. And when you look at what uh, his alleged four titles of these explicit materials that he says he's found in districts in the state, when you get the information back from these respective school districts, they're saying in most instances, only one not saying that they don't have copies of the book in question in their libraries. And the one that did uh, said that it had been through an exhaustive review process earlier this year, um, a self audit of their own library. Uh, And so it seems to be, I mean, one of the uh, spokespersons in one of the schools, I believe it was Tulsa, Tulsa Public Schools, made the comment that uh, that this is a debate Ryan Walters is having with himself. I mean, obviously, Walters has a lot of problems with t- Tulsa Public Schools. There's no question based on the interaction that, that uh, has gone on to this point. But it doesn't help anything to just have this flurry of lists of books and conversations that are kind of over the top and overarching specifics that we should be dealing with right now in the legislative process. So going forward, it's going to be interesting to see whether some of this can be kind of reined in and the conversation can get on a better footing uh, and something that is more uh, long-term productive, both for the State Department of Education, as well as for these lawmakers, now that they're getting down to budgets and considerations that uh, I would think would be much more important in the conversation mix with these superintendent and lawmakers. 
And let's talk about that. State lawmakers are still awaiting an appearance by Superintendent Ryan Walters, uh, more Republican Representative Mark McBride. He formally requested Walters appear before last week's education subcommittee. Despite being at the Capitol for a school choice rally, Walters decided to not show up at the meeting. McBride then gave Walters 10 days to testify before the panel. Ryan, do lawmakers have any tools to force the superintendent to appear? Yes, they can subpoena the superintendent. Uh, they can compel his presence before legislative committee. He is the uh, executive uh, of a, an executive branch agency uh, that has uh, legislative appropriated dollars with you know direction from the legislature on how they should be spent uh, and how those programs that have been approved by the legislature should be executed. He absolutely has to appear. Uh, and at some point, uh, you know, I, I think that nobody wants it to get to that point. Um, but at there's there's really no indication uh, that we're not going to. Um, and it's not just about asking the superintendent to show up to the Capitol um, and, and you know, testify before a committee and answer these questions um, and, and talk about, you know, if he wants to talk about these rules and why they're necessary, I think that lawmakers you know, have legitimate questions of why aren't the current rules sufficient? You know, how, how are things slipping by the current rules and how are they not sufficient? But there's also... You know, this this should really be, you know, 0.01% of the conversation about education in the state of Oklahoma. There are so many other issues, um, you know, from everything from, you know, you know teacher retention, uh, student performance, um, you know, un, you know, making sure that kids have all the tools that they need in the classroom to be able to, to learn and, and succeed. But things like the, there seems to be, uh, you know, what's described as a fiasco with the uh, the subsidized uh, school lunch and school nutrition program. Uh, and, you know, this is this is something where there need to be immediate answers so that it can be unraveled and make sure that, you know, the parents and the families and the students that depend on these uh, subsidies are able to get them. Because right now those cards have been turned off. Um, maybe as the time that people are listening to this, they've been turned back on. But you hear from lawmakers uh, that have called about that issue uh, and other just you know, perfunctory issues uh, about getting a teacher certificate. Uh, a teacher had a certificate that got mailed to the wrong address and they need the certificate mailed to a new address. Republican and Democratic lawmakers report that they don't even know who to call at the uh, mm. State Department of Education and that they've called and been on hold for eight minutes and eventually get disconnected. Uh, that is just outrageous uh, in, in, time, in terms of just responsiveness. This This shouldn't be a matter of a Republican calling or a Democrat calling, uh, you know, these are things that legislators as representatives of their districts often help their constituents with, with state agencies, mm -hmm. but they don't even know who to call. Uh, and that is, that I think is, is truly unprecedented. Neither. And I think, I think the fact that you have a new superintendent who is not demonstrating to lawmakers that he has a command of the agency that he's responsible for the state department of education. And so I think, you know, you're hearing lawmakers now begin to express these concerns, as you say, Ryan, of can he manage, can he uh, be the leader of this major agency of state government and, and the billions of dollars that we're talking about that flow through, I mean, both federal and state dollars and all of, all of the, you know, concerns that I think are growing in that regard have got to be addressed by Superintendent Walters to give these lawmakers a reason not to want to layer up and do some things that give them a comfort level uh, in terms of making sure that an agency 
is uh, properly um, handling uh, the affairs of that are that are prescribed, the duties and responsibilities of that agency. So, I mean, and let's remember, I mean, it, he does. It's interesting that someone with a resume that basically you have a 37 year old um, with eight years of teaching experience as a high school history teacher coming into this big job and not surrounding himself with a a strong team of educators and administrators and personnel that um, that he wants to work with that's his team that can really give everyone uh, looking at what's going on a a level of um, appreciation and belief that they've got the right folks uh, where they need to be to be able to do the job and i so i think there's a i think there's a, a lot of questions coming i don't think they have to be combative or confrontational if everyone will just agree to sit down and i think that's what representative mcbride up front said is come in let's have a cordial conversation i have many people on the committee that have questions uh they're not gotcha questions they're just questions and so um, we would like to hear your response, and I think that's reasonable. It's not a it's not a pile on of one particular elected official or one particular agency head. It's just the business that goes on year in and year out at the state capitol and being able to get the information that they need. And while he seems to be kind of ignoring lawmakers, he's still supposed to be. Uh, his he's running. He's also supposed to be confirmed for secretary of education. And that's on hold because he won't go before lawmakers. And I think there, as we've said, I think there's a big question. I mean, will he be confirmed? I, I, I don't know that anybody knows at this point. Absolutely. There's certainly not been a lot of open conversation, but you would have to wonder if, uh, you know, if there is some conversation about perhaps putting another person in as cabinet secretary, or will he go through with the with the possibility of not being confirmed? That certainly uh, doesn't bode well for either the superintendent or um, or government in general. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. And we're now, you know, we're now moving into the mm -hmm. final stretch, so that we're going to know this sooner rather than later. The state Senate has approved recently amended House education bills. The measures were sent back to the House despite threats from Speaker Charles McCall that they would be considered dead on arrival in his chamber. The legislation provides tax credits for private and homeschooling, along with pay raises of up to $6,000 for teachers. Neva, what's the future hold for these bills? Well, it, it, here it's fascinating because last weekend, basically, you had the Speaker of the House, I mean, in a series of uh, op-ed pieces that appeared in newspapers across the state, where he basically kind of took his message and took the Senate and their gutting of the two House bills head on. And, uh, you know, he, I think, uh, uh, basically... Uh, the essence of it is that he's that Charles McCall, House Speaker, uh, says that the education proposal that, that the Senate has uh, now put forward is a some win, most lose proposition. I mean, that's that's pretty strong. And he he tailored these messages. And this is what I think has kind of apparently put a number of uh, senators kind of in a tailspin is he in these articles uh, stylized them to the respective districts and talked about, you know, if you're in Senate District uh, 21 or whatever it is in Payne County and and uh, you, that senator, then those 11 or 12 school districts, whatever it was, 
he went through in that column and itemized. Here's what the House plan would give you. Here's what the Senate plan would give you. Here's the difference. And so talk about escalating the, the, the conversation. I mean, clearly he did that. And his contention is, I mean, he puts it straightforward in this particular column that, uh, uh, you know, not every school district wins, not every teacher wins, not every parent wins, not every student wins. I mean, that's his in kind of encapsulated um, piece in a nutshell. And out of that, then on Wednesday of this week, I mean, you had the pro tem kind of come back and say, basically, look, uh, the speaker needs to stop the political games. He needs to stop the rhetoric um, and he needs to uh, quit hiding behind uh, staff drafted uh, uh, op eds and, you know, start negotiating in good faith. And I mean, he was throwing it right back as fast as he could and basically saying that the speaker was in fantasy land because the Senate had the best plan and they needed to kind of get over it. So you got both of these leaders of the, their respective bodies really uh, kind of, you know, trying to uh, pitch it to the in a public sense of, you know, who wants his way or the highway. And it's kind of whichever version and whichever way you tilt in terms of House or Senate at this point. But Bottom line, after all of that, I would still contend when the dust settles, they're going to sit down with the governor and other negotiators or at least their or their lieutenants, uh, people that are in a position to negotiate on behalf of the House and Senate uh, are going to have to get to the table and now get serious about really what kind of plan ultimately is going to come out because something has to come out. I don't think there's any question there has to be some level of of compromise, or it's going to be one of the most uh, unusual sessions, I think, in history, if they put, if if they just remained at a, remain at a standoff and nothing happens. Ryan. Well, and especially if you consider the, <clears throat> the large Republican majorities in both chambers and a Republican governor who ran for re-election on the promise, uh, in large part, of passing some sort of plan that would you know be either a voucher plan or a tax credit plan whatever you want to call it um that was that was a, a, a dynamic leading into november uh, a lot of the folks that went out of their way to make sure that ryan walters got elected uh superintendent of public instruction that you know, that governor kevin stead got reelected. um they were there because they wanted a plan like this to pass you know last week whenever the uh superintendent uh, whenever superintendent ryan walters and the governor uh, and the first lady stood on the, the Capitol steps and talked about, uh, you know, school choice and the importance of it. Joining the governor was at that time, Speaker Charles McCall. And that led to a lot of speculation that the speaker being there with the governor meant that the governor was aligned with the House plan. Um, now, the governor, whenever he was asked if he would picked a, a favorite uh, between the two, uh, he, he didn't indicate uh, that. He seemed to say that, that the two sides needed to work it out. But then in that same report, uh, uh, Speaker uh, or the President Pro Temp of the Senate, Greg Tariq, said that he had been asked not to speak at the event. Um, you know, I, and I'm not sure who set the event up or who asked him not to speak or what the, the context of that is. But there, you know, I, last week I said that, uh, you know, session, there's still a lot of time left in session. Uh, and that, you know, at, at the end of the day, these are uh, the two leaders, uh, Speaker McCall and President Pro Temp Tariq, uh, have had a history of you know, fighting with one another and then you know coming together uh, at some point to to pass some some pretty contentious pieces of legislation. Whether they can you know bridge this divide right now, um, I think I, I agree with Neva that there's still time for this for something to happen. 
Um, but the more that the uh, the political rhetoric escalates at this part in the session, it, we're, we're kind of at the part in session where things need to start coming together uh, instead of you know moving further apart. Um, and you know, I think Speaker McCall, uh, you know, taking it directly to Senate districts, you know, uh, I'm sure you know did not make a lot of senators happy. Uh, and you know, I, I don't know if he thought that that was going to make senators feel like they could um, uh, that their constituents were going to call and get them to change their mind on the House plan. Uh, because when you start to look at just what you know the numbers that have been coming out, there's a, a report on KFOR where they, you know, they showed that even with the Senate cap of $250,000, because under the Senate plan, families that make over $250,000 wouldn't be eligible for the, the voucher or the tax credit, whatever you want to call it. But they said that if, so if you make about $250,000 as a household, your state tax is around you know, a little over $10,000, maybe $11,000. You would get a $15,000 voucher slash credit. Uh, and so the state would basically be sending uh, families that make a quarter of a million dollars in income, a $4,000 check in the mail uh, to to offset private school uh, expenses. So, I mean, that's, I think that the $250,000 cap, even at that, the idea that, that Oklahoma families making a quarter of a million dollars a year are going to get a $4,000 check in the mail if they send their kids to private school, I think that that's a tough sell to a lot of Oklahomans. Um, and then you take the cap off with the House plan. I think that that's a harder cap. I think that that's a harder thing to sell. So constituents calling senators right now, senators have a response to all of this. I don't think that this moved senators anyway whatsoever. Um, and you know, I don't know if the governor gets involved with this at some point. If, if Republicans continue to be divided, however, uh, among the chambers, and then if you start to see some divisions within the chambers, um, you know, then the, the Democratic minorities uh, they may have they may have some uh, you know some power here to you know, shape what ultimately passes because their votes uh, their votes may be needed at the end of the day. Well, and it's interesting if this also continues to kind of start to separate and they don't kind of get back to the the table very quickly. I, it, the give and take of what typically can happen in sessions at this point is that you know, one side starts killing the other side's bills. So you 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 take some of these, either take them hostage or you just eliminate them. And so they're, they're very well in the next, uh, you know, the next week or two, we could see some of that skirmishing, you know, kind of as the spillover. But I think the other point is, is that is this going to really be a line drawn and much of the conversation really draw down to rural education rural districts versus the urban mm-hmm. urban districts. And I mean, this is where there's a clear separation at this point publicly between Charles McCall and Greg Treat. And in in this in the case of the speaker, I mean, their contention in their plan is that what has happened is that there would only be 111, I think was the number, public school districts that would receive teacher pay raises under the Senate amendments. And so now the Senate comes back and says, you know, that, uh, you know, that the that all of this information that's uh, now coming out, uh, kind of the fodder from the House side is uh, disingenuous. It's not accurate. I mean, so you've got this give and take of whose numbers are real and what's what. And it is I mean, from a from a certainly from a public standpoint, I think we'd have to say people are, you know, they're not paying attention to the details. And they would be largely confused if they tried to sit down and match this up side by side. But it is the it is the the role and it is the job that's going to come down to these lawmakers of have to, having to hammer through it. And it may look 
totally different than either one of these proposals mm -hmm. uh, at this point. I think a lot of it may fall by the board just because they can't get there. Uh, so, and how strongly the governor feels that he wants to spend his political capital on this. I mean, it's certainly a top priority of his administration. So I think we would see him weighing in very strongly with the, with leadership on both sides, trying to see perhaps maybe he becomes the uh, conduit to a conversation and a deal that can ultimately be struck. And, and you know, regardless of the details of the plan that ultimately pass, uh, every, if something does pass, all of these lawmakers are going back out to their districts and saying, mm -hmm. teachers got a pay raise. I mean, that's going to be that's the right. top line that's of messaging. Right. And, and, you know, the Senate message is that it would be that it would be the largest in history. I mean, they're trying to frame it up, uh, you know, to try to be the heroes in that conversation, if in fact that's, you know, the case. But again, um, I think you're right. I mean, everyone... It needs to be a win-win, not a win-lose. I mean, it ultimately everyone uh, from a Republican perspective uh, in the majority in both the House and the Senate and a Republican governor, they need to come together at the end in a news conference and explain to Oklahoma how it was a year where education won and the and the parents and students and teachers and school districts in Oklahoma won as well. The State Department of Tourism is hoping to move past the Swadley scandal. Yesterday, the agency announced, or excuse me, Wednesday, the agency announced a new company to run restaurants at six state parks. Oklahoma City-based Ratatouille is taking over the supervision of these facilities by Memorial Day. Ryan, how does this differ from Swadley's running the restaurants? Well, first of all, you know, congratulations to, to Ratatouille. Uh, you know, glad that this didn't happen whenever we were you know, saying Freedom Prize. Uh, you know, this this probably they never would have won a state bid uh, or they would have had to change their name. So, you know, glad to have, you know, 20 years removed uh, from the from the Freedom Prize uh, conversation. Um, you know, I think that the executive director of tourism and recreation department, uh, Shelley Zumwalt, is, uh, you know, the, the state's uh, official Swiss Army knife. Uh, you know, she has she has come into, you know, now uh, a, a number another troubled, uh, you know, not just troubled. I think that that's that's an understatement, um, you know, state agency. And I, I think is, you know, again, demonstrated uh, that you know, if you just, you know, focus on the job at hand, uh, you can you know, have real results. And yeah, I, I know that uh, I'm sure that uh, in, in this whole process, there, there are folks that aren't going to be you know, happy with uh, a lot of these decisions and outcomes. Uh, but at the same time, we, we are seeing progress. And in a lot of these, you know, towns that have these state parks, they're going to have these uh, these restaurants open up. You know, I think of you know, my wife's hometown in, in Wilburton at, at Robbers Cave State Park. You know, this is a big deal, those communities. Uh, you know, not only is it, is it jobs, but you're, you're bringing, you know, families uh, from around the state and around the country to your to your community to see, you know, these these wonderful parks that Oklahoma has. Uh, and and I think that this is uh, this is a real testament to uh, the ability to turn an agency around. You know, maybe what we can do. I don't know if you know when when Shelley Zumwalt she said that she's going to give two years to tourism. Uh, maybe we're going to have to send her to the, the Department of Education after this to to clean up some messes. Neva. Well, I think uh, I I think it is a good news story. I mean, uh, back in uh, when she, when Shelley Zumwalt uh, came to tourism uh, back in October, I mean, she had a daunting task. I mean, an agency in disarray, as well as the uh, stigma from the whole Swadley's episode, which is still 
unresolved. I mean, this the, in terms of what ultimately is going to happen with that whole uh, controversy. But now we did see in January when they put the RFPs out that there were seven bidders, uh, not one, well, when Swadley's got it. So they went through a process. It was very deliberative. They had a, I think it was a seven-member um, evaluation uh, committee that went went through and had the discussions with each of these uh, potential vendors. Um, and I think out of that, I mean, what you had is a real focus on uh, the need to make sure that the process was not only uh had integrity to it, but that there was complete transparency uh, in this whole process. And I think uh, that's one thing that uh, we've heard out of Director Zumwalt, I mean, from the start, is that she felt like uh, that credibility had to be restored. And at the end of all of that process, it had to be a good deal for the state of Oklahoma. And I think what you see is you've got a company now that's coming into these six uh, state lodges, the restaurants there. Um, they've got uh, They've got turnkey ready uh, restaurants ready to go uh, on Memorial Weekend when they are scheduled to open up, and the deal for the state. I mean, uh, a contract that uh, um, the state of Oklahoma will get 13% of the gross receipts from uh, business done in these restaurants over a five-year contract. And that, uh, I mean, I think that all of this being laid out uh, in the manner that it has, and I think uh, trying to put trying to put a new, fresh face on it. I mean, one of the things that uh, came out in some of the uh, articles uh, talking about this this week is the fact that there was still this ongoing development of a new name and branding or concept for these restaurants. Well, I'm sure they're going to wait and roll that out right before Memorial Day to get to get uh, the, the flurry of uh, uh, not only positive uh, PR out of it, but to um, to, to motivate uh, Oklahomans all across the state to uh, to be at these uh, to be at these lodges and to be at these restaurants uh, at the start of the summer season. So uh, hopefully this will be something that has a lot of good uh, a lot of good stories to it. I agree with you, Ryan. I mean, in terms of someone that's come into an agency and not only had to just deal with trying to figure out what to do to get these uh, uh, restaurants back open, but deal with a budget and deal with a, a situation in the tourism department where you basically have had years of, of uh, just lack of neglect on facilities and the maintenance. And one of the things in her budget proposal uh, to the legislature this year is, uh, I think it was a $15 million deferred maintenance uh, request just to try to get some of this stuff back up and back on track and on par with what uh, people's expectations would naturally be. So um, so she's had a daunting task. She appears to have put a team, kind of reconstructed, reconfigured her team at Tourism in light of that, we're still seeing a bill move forward, um, and I think both in the House and the Senate, they believe likely to ultimately pass and go to the governor's desk. That would put um, that would put the the director of tourism under the hiring back under the tourism commission. Mm -hmm. uh, that it would be out of the hands of the governor, and I think uh, you know in the instance of uh, this week uh, coming out of the committee. Uh, Representative Eccles on the House side said, "Look, this is not uh, this is not a swipe at the governor or the director of tourism or anything else. It's just we believe there have there has to be um, a legislative kind of legislative eyes on this, and we believe that this is the right road to go down. So this may be one time where we see you know a shift back from uh, the 
uh, agencies that, where the governor was kind of given carte blanche at his request to want to be in control of these directors and commissions. And I think one of the other things in that bill that happens is that um, um, it would it, it says that the commissioners cannot be removed except for cause. So um, again, that kind of is a backdrop to everything else going on with tourism and certainly this this uh, story this week about uh, the uh, restaurants and new management. All of that, I think, at least on the tourism side, where there have been a lot of concerns and still a lot of issues, you know, being being ad addressed. Uh, it it has a, a much more positive light being cast in the uh, public purview. Two quick observations. It's it's amazing. You get more people to bid on a project if you let people know that you're accepting bids on the project. Uh, you know, funny how that works. Uh, and two, uh, Director Zumwalt is is really evidence of what you can accomplish if you're not governing through a partisan lens. Uh, I don't think that. I mean, we assume she's been appointed by you know re Republican. Uh, administrations. I mean, you know, you might assume that she's a Republic. I don't know uh, if she is or isn't. But I, I think that what we haven't heard is we, we didn't see uh, the Employment Securities Commission or the uh, Department of Tourism turned into a uh, soapbox for uh, for partisan wedge issues. And, and uh, you know, she's just governing. Uh, and, you know, how, how refreshing is that? And this is someone, and we talked about this in times past on the on the program. But when you have someone that has moved up through government for a number of years, she started, uh, you know, she started at uh, uh, DHS. She's been in communications. She understands budget budgets and the fiscal side. She understands the you know, who the players are all across government. A tremendous asset when you can pick up the phone and you know you're. You, you know the the folks that you need to be talking to and you already know who they are and you've dealt with them in the past. So I think, um, you know, I remember that Representative uh, Lee or Senator Lee Wright, um, I believe it was when he was working with uh, um, Zumwalt at the um, uh, Unemployment uh, Commission back during the pandemic. And, you know, one of the comments that he made was uh, something to the effect he called her the gold standard uh, for someone. If you want someone to be able to run something uh, efficiently and, and move it forward and transform an agency, this is someone who can get it done because they understand all of the elements to it and are not, uh, you know, and are not constricted and not afraid to uh, and not afraid to lead. And so um, and in many of the many of the comments she's made, she has. He basically said the same thing that she she believes it's public service, but she also believes that you run toward the problem and you address it and you take on the challenge. You don't just uh, allow status quo to basically uh, just uh, uh, cripple you, uh, which oftentimes has been done in the past in some of these agencies. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. And programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org. This Week in Oklahoma Politics is sponsored by Oklahoma State Medical Association, physicians dedicated to providing and increasing access to health care for all Oklahomans. More on its vision and mission at okmed.org.